6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Jude, verses 17 through 25. James 1.5 is another Bible verse you want to mark down. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. The very specific ask and ye shall receive kind of promise by James. Seems kind of appropriate to quote from James, the Lord's other brother that wrote an epistle, so I thought I'd we'll do that. Okay. Now, back to Jude. Of some have compassion, uh, making a difference, and that's making a difference phrase, a very difficult Greek phrase, and that's why some translated that some refute while they dispute with you, and it, uh, I think we've dealt with that. First way, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Now, save with fear is a strange phrase. That what, what sort of carried on that is on the one hand, recognize the unsaved person you're dealing with is in peril. And your diligence and effectiveness at what God may have called you to do at that opportunity may save them from an eternity of punishment. That's one idea. It's obviously very clearly here. This eternal fire is first mentioned in Matthew 3. It's clearly the unquenchable fire. The last mention is Revelation 21.8. And the same idea is all through the Scripture. Lot and his daughters, we went through all of that. Uh, it was in Genesis 19. They were extracted from the fire, uh, but incidentally, always by intercession. Even Lot was saved by the intercession of Abraham. Now, why do I emphasize that? Because all of us have problems in the family. A son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, a father, a grandfather. How do you witness the family? Tough. What can you do best? Intercede. That is, pray. God is in the miracle business and uh, spouting off a favorite Bible verse or arguing some doctrinal point is not likely to yield a, a commitment to the Lord. I'm not saying it won't because the Lord can use many things. But the point is you often, often one of the most agonizing things I hear, if you have an unsaved person in the family, what can you do? It's my own personal experience that the Lord will usually, he will respond to a prayer and have somebody else reach that person, some event. Sometimes you have the opportunity, sometimes it'll be some other factor that will bring it to the moment of decision. It's interesting, I don't think anyone is ever saved without intercession. I have to tell you one story. Yeah, I'm not sure I can prove this clearly, but from this passage and others that I just mentioned, I've had this view that the only way you can get saved is to be prayed for. I had a, an associate in a business venture that was saved. Beautiful, beautiful Christian guy. But he, he challenged me on that view because I mentioned it once at one of our home Bible studies and he felt that that sounds good, but he didn't think it was true because in his own background, he highlighted to me that he came from an entirely unsaved family background. Went in the Navy and for a while. But the point is he, he um, could very rhetorically eliminate anyone in his family background having prayed for him as a kid. 
Then the service career, there was no spiritual dimensions to that at all. And, uh, and the circumstance under which he finally did meet the Lord and come to a acknowledgement of his sin and, and a trusting the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation was, was a situation that was very local to him. And uh, he used to argue with me on that, and I had no rebuttal. I didn't know his life. But he got married to a beautiful gal, but found out, and he shared with us years later, that the girl that he married had a thing she did as a small child. When she was a little girl, her mother taught her that she didn't know who her husband was, but God did. And so she used to pray almost every day for her husband. Is that wild? And when Chris heard that, he just came to tears because he remembered it. And he shared that with me. That blew him away that he'd been prayed for for 20 years or some period of time. It was a long period of time. Uh, even though she didn't know who he was, they figured the Lord knows when I want to meet him. So that's kind of interesting, guys and gals. Uh, if you're not married, uh, you might uh, consider that. I think it's interesting, interesting uh, an idea because God knows who you're going to marry. And you can pray. She used to say, I don't know where my husband is, but God, you know where he is and you know his needs. And she used to just go through that, you know, like, it, like your girls do with a pen pal or something. That was, she had a prayer partner, so to speak, uh, somebody that she dealt with. So I thought that was kind of neat. Okay, there's another, another tone in verse 23 that also probably should be mentioned. He says, uh, and others say with fear. There is a caution involved. You can get into a ministry situation where you're exposed to, and you need to be aware of that. There are circumstances that you can get into that can endanger yourself too. So, uh, I mean spiritually. Um, so, that caution is here. But save others with fear, uh, pulling them out of the fire, and then hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Strange phrase. We're dealing here with English is from very difficult Greek. But what this seems to point to is the spotted garment in Joshua 7. Remember Achan? And the Babylonish garment, and it's the desires of this world uh, uh, spotting the life. We need to have a not just a distrust, but a hatred of those things that can interfere with uh, the walk. Now, incidentally, uh, if you are a soul winner, it's amazing how many how many uh, verses of support come out of not the New Testament, but the Book of Proverbs. This whole idea that we are a risk, that we should mingle zeal with godly fear is mentioned in Proverbs 1.7, Proverbs 9.10, Proverbs 14.16, and also Proverbs 4.14 and 15. We also should not be tempted to tone down the gospel. How easy it is sometimes to be, you know, a little less offensive. I'm guilty of that often. I shouldn't be in certain contexts. And uh, Proverbs 19.27 and 28.4 warn us against doing that. So those are... Uh, Jude's final admonitions. And then he comes to the last two verses of his epistle, which are famous. They're called by some a doxology. They're called by some the grand benediction. The two verses of Jude are, they, they really are fabulous. Now, Jude's epistle is on apostasy, but he both opens it and closes it with assurance. Because he knows he's going to get into heavy stuff here. So he starts with and then also closes with assurance to the believer. And verse 24 is about as eloquent as it um, could be. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. To what comfort there is in that word. He that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory 
with exceeding joy. He goes on. Psalm 37. Much of this has all been penned before in the Old Testament. And it's kind of fun to find those ideas in the Old Testament. But if you haven't discovered Psalm 37, you want to, you know, obviously learn the whole psalm. It's great. You obviously know verses 4 and 5. I'm sure most of you memorized those. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, and trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. What a comfort that is. So if you haven't memorized verses 4 and 5, you ought to take a look at that. And verse 7 is a summary of the book of Hebrews. Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. Verse 11, I, hear, I think a friend of yours quoted in one of his sermons. But the meek shall inherit the earth. That idea, the Lord wrote that down here long before he, he addressed it on the mountain. But the verse we're going for is verse 24. 23 and 24, if you like. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Verse 24 is an important verse. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Now, I kind of like that because it highlights the fact that it doesn't mean you won't trip from time to time. It doesn't mean in our own obstinacy that God won't let us get our faces dirty by falling flat on them now and then. But what he really says is he won't let us utterly be cast down. This is one of those places where you talk about, uh, you can just get into a whole thing about the walk. Proverbs 3, 19 through 23 talks about the Christian walk. There's over 30 places that I listed from the, the New Testament, admonitions about our walk. The good news, I'll spare you all that, let you use your own resources. That's one approach. Turn to Hebrews 12. You know, Paul didn't seem to be concerned about a Christian walk. He always said, run, right? <laughs> so he's my kind of guy. See, he says in Hebrews 12, 1, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and set down at the right hand of God. He's talking about running. And it's interesting... Um, that we find that in Proverbs 4, 10, and 12. But the interesting place that perhaps puts us in a better perspective yet is Isaiah 40. You've all seen Isaiah 40. That's the second Isaiah to the unlearned. And of course, I'm being facetious. No one who's read John 12 carefully should understand. have any doubt that there's one Isaiah, not two, despite many Presbyterian commentaries to the contrary. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Sounds great. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Terrific comfort. You find that quoted a great deal. But I want to highlight something to you. It's in climactic order. It sounds backwards, doesn't it? See, they'll run and not be weary. That's fine. But then what happens? They shall also walk and not faint. You see, that's the, the ultimate test. Finishing it all the way out. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40 to 31. Okay, uh, let's get back to Judah. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. To present you faultless. Greek, 
homilos, without blemish. Okay, what does that mean? Ephesians 5 deals with this very subject. Ephesians 5. Verse 25 speaks that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 26, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it by the washing of the water by the word. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Because the church did such a good job? No. Uh Uh-uh but that he can impute to it his righteousness. That's his goal. That's his mission. 1 John 3.2 says, gives us a very important physics insight. 1 John 3.2, Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You've just entered hyperspace. His body is not limited to three dimensions like we think of. We've been through that in some other studies, I think, but just the recap was, we speak of, in mathematics, we speak of a hyperspace, right? You and I are programmed in three dimensions. We have four walls, a ceiling, and a floor, and for us to leave this room without passing through the floor, a ceiling, or four walls to us is impossible because we are limited to three-dimensional thinking. And I usually build this up. If, you've, if you're mathematically inclined, read the, read the Flatland papers, that sort of thing. They're very provocative. Now, if you have a fourth dimension, it can be time, it can be something else, but if you have a higher dimension, then there are accesses in and out of this three-dimensional space that do not pass through one of the bounding planes. And we use this in engineering all the time. You deal with multi-dimensional spaces. Because many mathematical engineering problems lend themselves to analysis by those tools. Now, God is obviously not limited to three dimensions. The body of Jesus Christ, his resurrection body, was not limited to three dimensions. It was tangible. Handle me and see. A spirit has not flesh and bone, he said. Remember? So he's tangible. Don't get me wrong. But he's not limited to three dimensions. Here, John tells us, that we shall be like him. Why? How does he know? Because we shall see him as he is. We can only fully apprehend him if you're in the same dimensionality. And this makes more sense if we build up from one dimension to two, you know, two-dimensional beings seeing a three, you know, we did that once in one of the studies. But incidentally, there's a Hilbert space which has an infinite number of dimensions. That to me sounds like God would be, right? It wouldn't be lambda three or n, it would be infinite. So Hilbert space, those of you that have mathematical background can chase that down with a spiritual insight that Hilbert probably never guessed. Okay. (laughs) Now, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What's he like? 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, verse 19, it says, But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He's the Passover lamb, right? And what is the requirement of the Passover lamb? not spotted. That's in a tactical, tactical, mechanical sense, but it speaks of a spiritual truth much broader. He, being the Passover, was without blemish, without spot. First John says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Therefore, we must be of the same attributes, not by anything we do, but by 
his completed work to impute those to us. Without blemish, Jude says. I do believe that's exactly what Jude had in mind. I'm not making something on building on this. He present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Well, boy, you can study joy in the scripture. That's kind of fun. You see, in 1 Peter 1, 6, the joy is in the contemplation of our inheritance. That gives us joy. Another several passages, anticipation of Christ's return gives us joy. 1 Peter 1, 8, Revelation 19, and so forth. Verse 25, Jude continues. To the only wise God, our Savior. It seems like a strange tying together, but it's in 1 Timothy 2, 5, you have the same thing. And by the way, believing in God is not enough. Believing in God is insufficient. Believing in God is insufficient. The devils also believe and tremble. Just because you believe, believe in God, that's great. Where do you go from there? The cross is essential. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 4, 12, there's others. No other name given among men under heaven, whereby we must be saved. Now we have hmm, a few last words. Jude says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Glib phrases. We can prattle out very easily. What do they mean? What do they really mean? Glory, majesty, dominion, and power. There's only two places in the New Testament, here and in Hebrews 1.3, that all four of these things are wrapped up in one verse. What is glory? Well, most of us, I think, would define glory as uh, the divine radiance that shines. We see it visually. Luke 2.9 mentions that. We see the glory blinding in Acts 22.11. The glory is so bright that it is protected by smoke in Revelation 15.8. So we think of the Shekinah, either in its unleashed form or if it's uh, sheathed, if you will, in smoke. Glory, we can sort of relate to that word. What does majesty mean? We use that word. What do you mean by majesty? This occurs only here and in Hebrews 1.3 and in Hebrews 8.1, three places. Majesty. One suggestion is that it's the incomparable, ineffable, regal presence of the ruler of the universe. Incomparable, that's a glib word, but it means there's nothing else to compare it with, so how do you talk about it? Ineffable, impossible to describe. But it's his presence. It also suggests the omniscience of God upon his throne. Knows everything. His majesty. Next word is dominion. That word probably... A little easier to deal with. Dominion, it's, it's, it, in this case, it's the infinite extent of his rule throughout the universe. We find in Hebrews 1, 3, upholdeth all things by the word of his power. Remember Colossians 2, we went through all that then. His kingdom rules over all, Psalm 103 says. It suggests omnipresence of his majesty throughout the universe. Then we get this last word, power. Irresistible divine authority and might, omnipotence. So you've got omnipotence, omnipresence, and omniscience in the last three of the four, I think. That's one suggestion. One thing you do get the feeling is that uh, Jude has run out of words. He has 
come across what we have to call the poverty of our language. David ran into the same problem. First Chronicles 29. In David's prayer in First Chronicles 29, and um, we'll pick it up about verse 10, I guess. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation, and David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thy hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. And by the way, when you pray, I don't know how many of you use the ACTS, A-C-T-S. Uh, some people have suggested as well, you know, adoration, right? What's the first word? Adoration? Confession? right? Thanksgiving and then supplication. But when you pray, it's worthwhile taking some time and just adore them. And try in your own words to communicate what Jude here summarized so succinctly in these two. So here's Jude. He's comprehended his glorious brightness. He's comprehended the unutterable regal being of the one on the throne. He has uh, contemplated the limitless extent of his rule and the unlimited strength of his might. So he's all through. He can write no more. He says, both now and forever. He has business of time, as you can tell, because a lot of reasons, that's, that's one of my preoccupations, the whole concept of time, both in a dimensionality, what have you. And I think I mentioned this to you the other day, but um, I've been... Let's go to a telescope. I don't know if you, how many of you are amateur astronomers, but you look through a telescope and you can see not only millions of stars in our galaxy, but you can see other galaxies. And you start measuring distances, you deal in light years. And, you know, the nearest star is four and a half light years away, and the next one, 45, and I forget. They quickly get very, very large, so that means that the light that came from that star that you're looking through on the telescope started before we were born, started before our nation was founded. And you can get stars that are a long way away. And that light started a long time ago. And yet before that star's light started on its way here, the Lord knew you before the foundations of the world was laid, tells us in Ephesians. That's when you were saved. That's when he foreordained you. That's when he had you on his mind, by name. That's when he knew how many hairs of your head that there are. Before the foundation of the world was laid. That's the past. Now, he exists forever, infinitely the other direction. You and I have no grasp on the past. You and I have no capacity even relate to the future. The only part of that time domain that we relate to is the word now. Right now. We'll stand shortly, have a closing prayer, you'll be driving home. And that's now. Your eternity is in your hands in terms of how you react now. If you're in the Lord's hands, your eternity is secure. 
if you haven't committed yourself to the Lord, he won't violate your sovereignty. He has given you out of the entire domain of history, past or history future, he's given you a segment that's entirely in your control. And now, and the reason he puts you in a time domain is that's the only way he can put you in a situation to make a decision. That's really what it's all about. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And the only way we can end this is with a amen. Let's stand for a closing word. If there's anyone here who doesn't have certainty that he is in the Lord's hands, that he is saved, that he is numbered by the Lord among his own, then that can be remedied tonight while we bow our heads by simply committing your way into his hands. He'll take care of the whole job. He has made all the arrangements, and he'll do the whole job, but for a commitment the now in our life, right now. Father, we just praise you for this time together. We thank you, Father, for this epistle of Jude. We thank you for those insights that you have provided here for our learning. And Father, we would just ask that you would increase in us an appetite for your word, that we might grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. We'd ask you too, Father, that anyone here that isn't committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would give him no peace until he indeed rests in him. We just thank you, Father, for this time. We thank you, Father, for your spirit to enlighten us. We would ask you just to put a hedge about us as we go forth. Help us to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jude. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, when we begin a new series, May God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.